You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. Thank you so much, Matt. And once again, welcome Zach and Mary and their family. We're so glad they're with us. Hope you can take time to talk with them and connect with them after, after the service. So um, just really quickly want to talk about something we're deliberately doing starting next week, and it involves our giving here at Grace. And this is um, especially for those of us who call Grace home. This is your church. This is our community. If you remember with me, when COVID came along, um, it changed a lot of things and put a halt to a lot of things. And one of the things that, um, as we had stopped meeting in person, that we stopped doing was was calling for a formal time of worship in terms of our giving with, with the offering. And part of that was passing these bags that would go by, what have you. And so starting next week, we're going to be reintroducing passing those, those bags again here for those of us who are here in person because we we lost something when we lost that with COVID and didn't reinstitute that. Offering our our giving isn't just something that we do as kind of an add-on to, you know, a necessary piece of the service and then we move on. It's every much an act of worship as singing songs and being in God's word and praying and the other expressions of worship that we've been doing here at Grace. So we're going to start doing that again. Um, and passing the bags and, and putting more emphasis on that because it is an act of worship. And it's one of the ways that we worship God is that we remember that everything we have comes from him. And we want to be generous and we want to give because that's the way he is towards us. And we don't apologize for giving around here. We celebrate it and we encourage it because it reflects the heart of our God. And just for tangibility, the reality that we can partner with Zach and Mary and help support them halfway across the world to be advancing the kingdom of God is compelling to me. Every time you give to the mission and vision here at Grace, that's where some of your resources go, is with our global mission staff. So I want to thank God for that, and, uh, and then we'll prepare to dive into his word together. So Lord, we thank you that you are a God who gives to us. You give us yourself. And you sacrifice on our behalf. And you are so generous. And as an act of worship, for those of us who do call this church home and who are part of this church family, we choose to give back our resources. Not just our money, but our time and our relationships. Think of things like Service County and Vacation Bible School that we celebrate. These ways that we try to give back and invest into others. Because that's what you've, that's what you've done for us. So thank you for that. And Lord, you give us your word to help us know you better, to grow us, to advance your kingdom. And so, Lord, as we prepare to open your word now, we ask that by a demonstration of your spirit's power, it would speak into our hearts and lives that would help us to become more like you, to trust you more fully, to obey you, and to experience the blessing that comes as a result of that. So, Lord, all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we begin our time in God's Word and begin to um, dive back into the Gospel of John, i got to jump down here and grab some props, because we can't dive into the Word of God without me telling you a story, right? So we got to get into the story here. There we go, that's a little better. Anyone like to whitewater raft, by the way? 
Okay, a handful of crazies, that's good. Um, I love to whitewater raft. Haven't done much of it recently, but at, uh, at my last church, we had a student ministry camp called Raft Rally for high school students in particular. And those of you who have been with us here at Grace through the years have heard stories about this that I've told you, but um, we would take um, what turned out to be usually a couple hundred, sometimes three or 400 high school students down to Wasco County Fairgrounds, and we would have a rafting camp on the Deschutes River, and we'd raft the Deschutes for a full week, and we'd take over the, the campground, and it was just, it was really, really fun. And, you know, through the course of time, um, we just got to know the river really well, and safety was always paramount to us, so we would have what we called a raft captain's trip in the spring, where we would go in the spring, and that was cold to raft the, raft the river then, but it was to orient us all once again to the river. Um, we had an entire crew who dedicated themselves every day to stuttering, studying, not stuttering, probably did that too when they saw the big rapids, but... Um, studying the water levels, we, we monitored how much water was being released from Pelton Dam. I mean, the, the, the volume of water on any given day in the Deschutes affects the rapids. And so we just invested a lot of time into making sure this camp was safe. But it meant we were on the river a lot. And through the course of the years, probably rafted the Deschutes 40 or 50 times. We were on the river three or four times every year. All that being said, this one year happened where it worked out that we weren't able to have the camp, but a group of us who were raft captains decided that we would raft the Deschutes, and in particular, we would go to the very end of the access road that you can take and then raft all the way to the gorge where the Deschutes empties into the Columbia River. It's about an eight-hour float. You drive the, drive the access road just as far as you can go, and then it ends, and you put in there, and it takes about seven to eight hours, depending on how much water's flowing in the river that day to actually make it to the Columbia. So we decided we were going to chop up the trip a little bit, and we were going to camp and make it a two-day event. So we rafted for a bit, and then we camped at the end of the day. And day two was what we were really looking forward to. Because as it happens in our winters around here, there was a really severe winter, a lot of rain, a lot of snow, um, and it had changed some of the lower rapids on the Deschutes. And at River Mile 8, if I remember right, that year, there was a new set of rapids. They had been kind of ripples before, but some debris had gotten lodged there underwater. I don't quite understand how that happened, but, but the rapids had changed. It didn't gotten much bigger, and none of us had ever ever rafted it before, so we were pretty excited to go check this out. So, so we jumped in, and we started rafting that morning, and we knew we were getting close um, because we had rafted that section of the river in prior years, but we didn't know what this new set of rapids was going to look like. And so when we got to that area, we pulled out, and we scouted the rapids, and you really can't see much from the riverbank, especially with bigger rapids. It helps, but what really helps is to talk to someone who's been through it and who can guide you and tell you where you need to go. So at this point, we're flying blind. So we, we go back upriver a little bit, and we launch the rafts, and I happen to be in the second raft. Um, I'm ambidextrous, so I can row on either side. And so I was on the left-hand side, because no one wanted the left-back side. No one wanted to row left-handed, but I didn't mind, so that was my spot in the raft. Second raft through, so we're watching the first raft, and one of the basics of river rafting is if you're in a group of rafts, it always helps to watch and see what happens to the raft ahead of you. That's a pretty good telltale sign of what's going 
going to happen to you and helps you decide, yeah, we're going to do that or no, we ain't doing that. We're going to go over here. And so this raft ahead of us goes through. And again, understand we're all pretty experienced rafters. We've been raft captains with this camp for several years. We know the river pretty well. And, you know, there was honestly a little pride involved with this. You know, when you raft, you get some experience and some seasoning. And basically at that point in the game with the rapids that were on the Deschutes, if we didn't want to fall out, we didn't. Unless you really wanted to. And it's kind of fun to get thrown out of a raft in some weird way. And so we were proud of that fact. You know, you drop down into a chute. You, you row as you're going through. You lean forward. You squeeze the raft between your legs. And that usually keeps you on the boat. And so we're pretty confident that, you know, we're going to be able to take this chute no problem. And so I'm watching the raft ahead of us. And in particular, I'm watching the guy who's in my position, the left back on that raft. And they drop down into this trough and they come back up. And the two back people are missing because it flipped them off. And that's where we're headed. And at this point, there's kind of this defining moment where I think to myself, I wish we had a guide who knew what they were doing, who knew what was coming, so we would be fully prepared. And this morning, as we continue on in the Gospel of John, Jesus once again is going to talk about this guide who is available to all of us, the Holy Spirit. This is the third time in John's Gospel where he talks about the Holy Spirit. And once again, as we prepare to consider Jesus' words and the reality of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I think it's good for us to, to speak to two extremes that we want to avoid. And these happen sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit. One extreme is um, there are those of us who have seen the Holy Spirit abused, where we've been around folks who have said, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, or the Holy Spirit did this, when the Spirit clearly didn't. And so we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, and quite frankly, we're a little suspicious, we're a little skeptical about what it means to experience the Holy Spirit, to live out the Spirit-filled life. Or sometimes we gravitate to the other extreme where we avoid the Holy Spirit. The whole thing just kind of weirds us out a little bit, and so we just don't really like to talk about it or think about it. But the Holy Spirit is not Casper the Friendly Ghost, and he's not an it. He is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the realities that we're going to be talking about here in this passage are profoundly powerful. In fact, they're, they're life-changing. And so we're going to look at this morning what Jesus said to the, to the um, disciples because he promised them a guide who would guide them for what was going to come their way. And if you'll remember with us last week, there was whitewater that was coming their way. Because Jesus told them in no uncertain terms, the world will hate you because of me, because you belong to me, because I chose you, and because I have empowered you by my spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to get even more definitive about what that's going to look like. But bracketing that, he's also going to talk about the reality and the promise of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us and, and for them. So I'm very excited about this passage. So this is John chapter 15, verses um, 26 through 16, 15. So let me read this to you. And as I do, I want you to watch for how the Holy Spirit guides us. Or for those of you who were here with us at Church on the Lawn last week, where I promised you we'd looked at how the Holy Spirit helps us. How does he help us? This passage describes some of that. 
So when the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And all that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So there's just so much powerful reality for, for you and me. It talks about that the paraclete will come, which is what that word originally was. But the meaning of that word is advocate, counselor, helper, guide. And we see the Holy Spirit, God, doing all these things in this passage, and he's promising them that they will have his presence, that the Holy Spirit will not only be with them, he will actually be in them. Do you and I appreciate what that means with how we live our lives? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God himself lives inside of you and that he helps you that he guides you and me? You know, the practical reality of what we're looking at here, the context of what Jesus is saying, is that he helps us tell and live the Jesus story. We do his part, or excuse me, we do our part, and he does his part. So, so what's our part? It tells us right here in the passage, and I kind of emphasized it just so that we wouldn't look past it. Because this is how it's written in the original language. This you is really heavily emphasized. It says, you, almost, you also must testify. So, what does it mean to testify? What's that word really mean? It means testify. It means to tell. We tell the Jesus story. That's, that's our part. So, how is that going for you? You know, if you'll remember back with me on Vision Sunday, we talked about one of the things that we wanted to be more deliberate about as a church family is taking advantage of the opportunities we have to tell the Jesus story. So, have you? 
are you praying for and looking for opportunities to tell the Jesus story? Because one of the realities here is that the Holy Spirit helps us, helps us do that. You know, we have something that we're going to be bringing to Grace um, later this fall. We're very excited about the, the fall is going to be the pilot of this, but it's called Alpha. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you aren't. But basically, it's a tool that we can have together corporately to just have conversations with folks ab- about Jesus, to tell the Jesus story. It's centered around a meal and... Um, we're, we're putting this out there so that those of you who might be interested in being a part of this in terms of the leadership can actually participate in it. And we'll talk more about it as it gets closer to the fall here. But we're, we're bringing this as a tool and an opportunity for us to be able to do that. Our part is to tell the Jesus story. Okay. His part is not that. Would you shut that off real quick? Sorry there, Michael. I punched the wrong button. Occupational hazard with a clicker, right? We'll come to that in just a minute. But our part is to tell the story, but his part is to persuade and to change hearts. And what you just got a preview of, which now I'm going to let you watch, is this clip was sent to me from Ron Bergen. Ron and Jeannie Bergen are part of our global missions staff. They serve with Campus Crusader crew, and they really have oversight of distribution of the Jesus film throughout South America. And what you're going to hear is a, a guy who recently received Jesus, who is now um, becoming a pastor, and, and he's very deliberately going to some other tribes that live around him, tribes that have been historic enemies of his tribe, tribes where there is no presence of, or no church, no presence of Jesus Christ whatsoever. And it's an amazing story that really taps into so many elements that we're talking about here this morning. And I saw it and thought, boy, that is so compelling. You got to see that. So you got to hear this story. So let's hear it together. <laughs> Siete años esclavo de Satanás entre la, eh, la brujería, el espiritismo y la esclavitud del, del maligno. Pero un día eh, Jesús me encontró y hoy soy esclavo de Cristo porque la llevo en estas manos, porque sentí la, el, la, el clavo que tuvo en sus manos, me las puso en mis manos porque hoy he sido crucificado con él y resucitado en él para... ¿Y cómo escuchaste el Evangelio? A mí nadie me predicó el Evangelio. ¿Nadie? Nadie. Fui un Saulo. ¿Cómo? Fui un Saulo. Jesús me encontró en el camino. Jesús habló y me dijo, yo lo conozco. Y por eso... Hoy eh, este, este indio Bucama renovado, renacido en el poder del Espíritu Santo. Camino en, 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 el, en el Espíritu Santo, en el poder del Espíritu Santo y guiado por el Espíritu Santo. Y por esa razón Satanás y sus demonios me odian porque he sido, tengo aflicciones. Tengo muchas aflicciones porque él quiere, dice que... Recuerda a veces y me dice, usted era ese hombre. Yo era, ahora soy de Cristo y hago lo que Cristo me manda hacer. Y, y con, ese, con esa voluntad de que hoy llevo 18 años sirviendo a Jesús, en, en mi caminar como misionero, como, como Él me ha llamado, de ganar a mis hermanos. 
hermanos Cocamas, también a, mis, a otras señas que el, el Señor me está permitiendo ir ahora entre los Ticunas, los Cocamas, los Yaguas, los Vitotes, los Boras, los Munanes y ahora también está en mi corazón en, en Guaviara que están los Mucat. Eh, son dos mil que tengo un pastor que está queriendo que yo vaya a trabajar por unos cinco años con los Mucat por la formación de que Dios pudo transformar mi vida de, de las tinieblas a la luz de ver hoy como dice Colosenses sí, como dice Colosenses sí. porque ahora ya no vivo yo, Cristo vive en mí y me gozo por eso porque aún más conociendo la película de Jesús aumentó el conocimiento de cómo llegar a esos no alcanzados de poder hacer discípulos de discípulos que aún sigo trabajando con la película de Jesús que tengo ya eh, discípulos en varias comunidades que están también hablando de la película de Jesús y entonces hoy con este congreso termino diciendo que va a ser de mucho provecho para poder conocer a muchas aldeas ¿Has plantado grupos pequeños con la película de Jesús? Sí, en Perú con el frente donde yo vivo tengo allá hay una uno que está dirigiendo la película de Jesús tengo otro en Colombia que es en, en una comunidad indígena de los Tipunas que es patrullero también están trabajando con la película de Jesús y en Puerto Nariño que es la comunidad de Ticoya entre Ticunas y Yaguas también están trabajando ahí ¿Ese es el lado de Brasil? Este, no, Colombia. Colombia Colombia. Entonces hoy en este resto pienso llevar la película de Jesús a, a la frontera en Perú por lado yendo como pa paiquitos hay un, un lado, una frontera de un río llamado eh, Atacuari ahí es, son nuestros hermanos Cocamas que viven en esos lados de Perú entonces allá estamos pensando ir a en mes de octubre quiere llevar la película de Jesús entonces bueno hermano gracias eso es lo que te quería contar wow yeah that's pretty cool isn't it so so many things there more than than we have time to talk about but I'm struck by the reality that this man encountered Jesus in a dream and this is an example of the spirit testifying when maybe there isn't someone there to one of us to tell him he came to him in a dream He receives him, and now he feels compelled to go to these neighboring tribes that, um, you know, he's going to put his life on the line for, to go try and tell about Jesus. And Spanish is probably his second or third language. He speaks his tribal language, and then he's learned Spanish in order to, to adopt a common language that he can use as a means to, to tell others about Jesus. I think that's pretty compelling. And that's, and that's pretty cool. And that is an example of the work of, of the Holy Spirit. But He's going to be putting his life on the line to go do these things. And although many of us don't live in that way or have to be worried about that, it certainly was a reality for the disciples. As Jesus is talking to the 11 of them, you know, whitewater's coming their way. And he talks about the reality and warns them that be careful that you don't fall away because there are people who are going to think they're actually doing a service to God, and that's why it's written in the way that we read it, by killing the disciples, or at the very least by kicking them out of the synagogue, which again, in that community was absolutely catastrophic. Imagine losing your entire community because of a decision to follow Christ, and it happens in a number of countries and places around the world. You choose to follow Jesus, you lose everything. You lose your family, you lose your community, you lose everything you own. 
There, there's a cost. And Jesus is warning them and telling them, okay, I'm, I'm letting you know this could and probably will happen to you, so be careful you don't, you don't fall away because things will get so hard you're going to feel like giving up. You, you ever felt like that? Ever felt like it's just, it's so hard at times to follow Jesus, I just feel like giving up? Of course you have. But those times will come. And the Holy Spirit gratefully gives us perspective. And that's what Jesus is, is talking about here, is that this is probably going to happen. And he isn't talking about people losing their salvation, but he is talking about people leaving it. Don't, don't walk away from what you know. Don't walk away from the one who, who has saved your life. And I know for a number of you, you're, you're wrestling with this with, with people you love. Some weeks ago, we asked you to write out and submit to us some, some prayer requests about how we can be praying for you. And there were a number of you who mentioned kids and grandkids or other members of family or, or friends who at one point, if they didn't know the Lord, they knew about the Lord and they've, and they've since walked away. They've since left what, what, they, what they knew, left the one they knew. So, so I know you get this. And, and the Holy Spirit gives us hope. He gives us perspective that yes, these things are going to happen, but, but we don't give up. We, we persevere. And he tells us how we can and why we can in these next verses. Look what he says. The Spirit has come. God has come to prove the world that they are wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. You know, this, this amazing thing, this amazing reality is the Holy Spirit doesn't come and help us come face to face with our sin and our stubbornness and our selfishness and our self-focus and our desire to live apart from the blessing of God. He doesn't come to us to shame us. He comes us to, to actually save us. And the reality that is put right in front of all of us, you and me here, is that even if you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, and obviously most, if not all of you do, because here you are, you're listening to this or watching this online, even if you say you don't believe in something, you actually do. Everybody believes in something or someone. Or to put it another way, the question isn't if you worship, the question for you and me is who or what do we worship? And we live in this culture that teaches us to worship this unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. And to make life all about us. And so we turn to true empty religion and, and false gods, or we turn to taking good things and making them into, into ultimate things. And you know, this begs the question again of what do we, what do we believe in? How, how are we worshiping? What are we worshiping with our relationships? with our time, with, with, our, with our resources. I mean, quite frankly, it's so easy for us in our brokenness, in our selfishness, to take a good thing and elevate it to the ultimate thing. We, we take a relationship and we elevate it to a place that it never should be in our life. We look to a spouse to meet needs that they're never going to be able to meet. Or we look to money and we make that our focus and we make that the source of our security. Or we put our focus on our health and this is what is really, really important, what really, really matters. Or where we look to what we can accomplish and we look to what the world defines as success for our security or what other people say about us or we turn to sex. or You know, it's just you fill in the blank. And what we're showing by our actions is what we really believe in. 
And the Holy Spirit and this passage tells us unequivocally that we don't have to live like that. That there is a power that the Holy Spirit gives us. This passage declares rightly so that Jesus has power over sin and this world and Satan. And it's pretty amazing. This world that hates the truth without reason is the very same world that Jesus is trying to save through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's how we respond to those who hate us. We, we pray for them, as Scripture tells us to. We love them, as Scripture admonishes us to. Why? Because that's how God responds to his enemies. Or to put this even more personally and directly, that's how God has responded to me and you. Because before we know Jesus, don't we all start out in the same place? God's not our enemy, but we're his by how we live our lives. Doesn't Romans 5.8 in the New Testament declare, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? Do you realize we are the only worldview, the only belief system, the only religion that says you don't destroy your enemies, you don't kill your enemies, you love them? Because that's what Jesus has done, done for us. And Jesus goes on to say that the Holy Spirit also is about righteousness, that he's returning to the Father, that the plan always was that Jesus would be crucified, he would die, he would bury, be buried, but then he would be resurrected. He'd come back to life and he would go to the right hand of the Father to, to intercede for us because this was all part of the Father's plan and the only source for right living, right relationship with God, right relationship with other people is through Jesus Christ, through knowing and receiving him into our lives. We don't make ourselves righteous. Only Jesus does that for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the source of righteousness through his spirit. And then it goes on to say that this power is expressed through judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And those are important words for us to remember. Because we have an enemy who would like to ensnare you and keep you and me in our selfishness, in our, in our sin. He wants us to be convinced that there's no escape from our sin, our selfishness, that this is the way things are. So, okay, I might as well just give up and choose to live this way. I might as well let that addiction own me. I might as well let that pattern that just keeps ruling my life, just, just you know, I just, I give up. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking against here and saying, no, that's not true. The evil one is condemned. We don't have to live like that anymore. But sometimes our strongest desire in the moment is to be selfish is to retaliate, is to withhold, is to attack, is to ignore and not care. And we don't have to live like that. I don't have to live like that anymore, and neither do you. Because as Gary Brashear's rightfully reminds us, our strongest feelings in the moment might be to be selfish, to sin, but our deepest desire, if we know Jesus, we have his Holy Spirit in our lives, our deepest desire is to trust and obey. 
that we have a spirit-led choice to make. And one of the realities, once again, that Jesus is declaring here is that there is an empowerment that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to live the very life that he calls us to. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. We live in a culture that teaches us not only to worship ourselves, but to worship our feelings. Feelings are king. And so whatever you feel, therefore, is your reality. And so much of following Jesus and living a life of blessing that he promises us is choosing to live by what we know and not necessarily by what we feel. And that's difficult at times. That can be really hard at times. Quite frankly, there are times I don't feel like trusting and obeying the Lord. So is that what determines what I do? Or is what he says, what I know to be true determines what I do? Because Jesus said in this very passage, the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. One of the things he does is helps us understand and apply and live out and experience and discern the truth of God. And man, do you and I need to hear this more than any other time, I think, because once again, we live in this culture that teaches us that it's all about your truth and my truth. And what our culture says is true. What in the world ever happened to God's truth? Because again, one of the greatest lies of the evil one is that there is no absolute truth. There's no such thing as a truth that is true for all people in all contexts, in all ethnicities, in all situations, in all socioeconomic conditions. There's no truth like that. Truth is what you decide, what I decide to be true. But is that true? Is there a truth, capital T? And I hope you nod your heads. Because there is. God's, God's truth. Truth isn't relative. There, there is an absolute truth. And what this practically looks like is when we don't respond to the reality that there is an absolute truth, that God is the truth, that he tells the truth, that he can be trusted because he is the truth, we choose to live our lives so differently than that. Well, you do you, I'll do me, and I'll determine what's true. Do you know what that is? Recycled. That's been around a long time. Do you know where that thinking comes from? Do you know where the origins of that thinking is? What, that truth is relative? And that you determine your own truth? In, in the language of our culture today, and this is way beyond gender and sexuality, it extends to all parts of our life, you identify how you choose. Do you know where that comes from? In the very beginning. If we go back to the book of beginnings, we go back to the beginning of human history, I encourage you at some point, go back and read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, where prior to that, everything is shalom, it's the way God intended it to be, right relationship with him, right relationship with one another, with land, with self. Adam and Eve are told not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And Satan comes along in Genesis 3, and he says, did God really say that? Really? 
And so they choose to identify, to use the language of our culture, apart from God. They choose to determine what's true for them. And they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And sin enters the world. And death enters the world. And yes, they do eventually die, just like God warned them would happen if they did that. And now we're picking up the pieces ever since. And thankfully, God puts in motion in that same passage the divine rescue mission to eventually send Jesus to die on a cross, be buried, rise from the dead, and through that, give us the means, the ability to enter back into right relationship with God and others by receiving him. So all that being said, the language of our culture today, this, this incredibly broken and disorienting message that truth is relative, it's, that's not a new message. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. And in a culture that is drowning in sin and selfishness and brokenness, more than ever, we need a lifeline. We need hope. And Jesus is that hope. And his presence through his Holy Spirit in our lives is the source of that hope. So once again, do you believe that? Because if you want to experience that, you got to believe it. So that raft ahead of us drops down into that trough. And I see the guy who is in my place on that raft flip off that raft and I look at the guy next to me and he says, that's not happening to us. <laughs> You're right. And then we're in that chute. Big wave, you know, 40 feet height. No. <laughs> but big. And we drop down in that trough. I squeeze the raft between my legs. I row. I lean forward. I do all these things that I've done all these years to make sure I stay on the raft when I want to stay on the raft. And the last thing I remember is seeing my feet right there. It flipped both of, both of us off just like it did the raft ahead of us. And all this is happening, you know, in milliseconds, right? But it just feels like slow motion when it's happening. So flip off the raft. Last thing I see is my shoes above my head. And I hit the water as we're going through this chute of rapids and through this curl in particular. And I come up underneath the raft. And that's happened before. That, that wasn't something new. But what was new was that I couldn't get out from under it. One of the few times I've truly been scared rafting. And I, I furiously paddled just as, just, you know, it's just instinct, right? Wasn't thinking, just, I got to get out of here. Got out of the raft and I didn't realize how far the current had taken me at that point, but it shot me out. And I was no longer under the raft. I couldn't see it. All I could see was bubbles and water, and I'm tumbling through this chute of rapids. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and here's this line. And one of the guys on our raft had the presence of mind when we came out of that curl and saw me go in through our, our throw rope out across the water so I'd have something to grab, and there it was, and I grabbed it probably saved my life. Didn't like thinking about that in hindsight, but that's, that's probably true. The Holy Spirit is God, is the presence of God. 
And he is the lifeline that, that we all need. And you receive him when you receive Jesus into your life. So have you done that? Have you made that defining moment decision to receive Jesus into your life? For those of us that have, and as our worship team comes now, we choose to respond in worship. For those of us who have, we have to remember what we have. Too many of us discount the Holy Spirit, ignore the Holy Spirit, avoid the Holy Spirit, don't trust the Holy Spirit when he wants to guide us, when he wants to counsel us, when he wants to help us. He's not just here, he's in us. And so as we sing this song that talks about welcoming the Holy Spirit, Will you welcome the Holy Spirit into your life this morning? Will you choose to trust him where he leads you? Will you choose to lean on him for perspective? Will you welcome him and follow him as he leads you? Lord, thank you that you are so good to us, that you have not left us as orphans, that when you left this earth to go and be with the Father, you sent your spirit. Thank you that you are with us now. Where we have chosen to deny you or walk away from you or indulge in selfishness and sin that we know is not what you want for us, will you expose that? Not to shame us, but to save us from it. Will we believe you when you say, that you want to empower us to live a life of blessing and trust and obedience. Fall afresh on us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And that, that invitation is open to come to his table. We have communion off to the sides. Worship doesn't have to stop because the service stops. We want to encourage you to consider taking advantage of that. We have prayer teams off to the sides. And with prayer in mind, I'd like to leave you with these words that we've already heard earlier in the Gospel of John from Jesus. But I just think they're so timely and so applicable to what we've talked about here this morning. This is Jesus saying, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Because very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do that. There are too many times we hear those words and we say to ourselves, really? Or, or we doubt in all fairness, does Jesus really mean that? And no, it doesn't mean you always get or I always get what I ask for. But too often and too easily, we discount and dismiss and dilute the words of Jesus and the promise that is there. So with that in mind, with the reality that God himself, through his Holy Spirit, lives inside you and me this morning, for those of us who have received him and responded to his love for us, what is it you need from him today? What do you need to ask for? Or even more pointedly, what have you given up on? Will you reconsider 
asking that of the Lord? Will you take him at his word and ask him for him to move in your life, to to work through whatever you want to put before him? Again, our prayer teams are off to the side. They would love to pray with you. I would, any one of us here would. But let's remember that we have the very presence of God in our lives. We need to stop living like we don't. We have the very promises of God. We need to stop questioning those. We have the power of God. We need to stop letting our circumstances dictate and define who we are and what we do. And we need to not forget that we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He will help you not only tell, but live out the Jesus story. You can do this because he will help you because that's who he is and that's what he does. He's the advocate, the helper, the guide, the counselor. So let me pray his blessing over us. Lord, thank you for the time we've had to worship you, to seek and discover you together, to to talk with you, to hear from you, to open your word together. Lord, I repent of not taking you at your word. I repent of not believing you for what you say. Lord, for all of us, would we not only hear your words, but act on them. Would we believe what you tell us? Would we come to you and ask? Would we watch where you're working and boldly step into that, knowing that we don't step into that alone, that you are with us? Thank you, Spirit, that you are with us. And thank you that you love us. As we go from here, would we choose to live for you in your truth, in your way, by your power? And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So go and live for him. And we hope to see you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.